Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Saturday, September 26th, 2020, which is the first day this week. It's been quiet at your place, Drew? Yes, we have some uh, roof guys on the roof of our building, and mm-hmm. they are pretty insistent on making my life a living hell. If you've seen the movie Money Pit, it's that kind of disturbance, Jim, pretty much all day, every day this week. So, yeah, it's been fun. Okay. Have you ever heard the Betty Hutton song, Rumble, Rumble, Rumble? (laughs) It's this great song about she has a noisy upstairs neighbor. He likes to hammer, hammer, hammer with his left hand. As soon as you told me about what's going on, it's like, oh, Drew is living a Betty Hutton song. We got to get the rights to that song. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, you have still managed to be productive this week. I was just saying I enjoyed your piece on Collider this week about why we didn't get a National Treasure 3. Yeah. And at the same time, both of us got to see the trailer for Crudes 2 as well as uh, Over the Moon. Well, what's interesting about Crudes 2, and I was kind of digging into it, is that a lot of this comes from the Chris Sanders, uh, Kirk D'Amico version of the movie. That, if we will all recall, was canceled outright in 2016 after the Comcast acquisition. So, yeah, I mean, if you look at those early synopses, they talk about the Betterman family, which you see in this trailer and and all that sort of stuff. But I'm cautiously optimistic, although I think that we'll really miss their sort of creative spirit because I think that's what made the first movie so much fun. But I don't know. How did, how did you feel about that trailer? It's not like there were so many unanswered questions at the end of the original Croods. Aren't we glad that the cat is still there? I won't be happy until I get a plush of the saber-toothed tiger thing. He was my favorite character out of the first thing. Which, though, by the way, Chris Sanders told me that in that film, when he was doing the saber-toothed tiger character, he's supposed to represent change. And that's why Nicolas Cage's character never really succeeds until he actually embraces change. And and then it's like, once he embraces change, that's the point where he's able to handle everything that's going on in that movie. Well, I love that all those animals in the first movie were such clear Chris Sanders creations. Yeah, yeah. Whenever I was at Comic-Con, I would always go by Chris's booth and get the latest sketchbook because it just, I loved his characters. I mean, didn't you manage to get a Kiss Kaloo? I have a stuffed Kiss Kaloo somewhere, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Which is I really think- cute. It I is, remember, it is. you know, the Disney animators who had to work on Lilo and Stitch said that the key to drawing like Chris Sanders is to take your character and imagine that they are being inflated like a balloon. <laughs> and that's how you get the Chris Sanders look, which, oh. yeah, which is cute. <laughs> All right, that's funny. Okay, now to pivot to Over the Moon, which we've had trailers, or we've had a teaser or two, and we've we've seen a little. Did you know it was going to go this way? No, I had no idea. I mean, do you remember that long lead day that you and I were both in? That yeah. You could see some of the characters, and there was, mm-hmm. there was that Kim Jong character who I mm-hmm. thought – and I'm still not totally convinced that I'm wrong, is that mm. one of the animals that they take in the spaceship will turn into that character somehow on the moon. But mm. yeah, this trailer is insane, Jim. Yeah, yeah. Given everything we've seen up until this point, I don't remember the complimentary tab of acid that we were all supposed to have dropped before we saw this trailer. And it's just sort of like, wow. 
It, don't get me wrong, it's, it's Glenn Keane's directorial debut. I really want this to work. It's vivid. It's colorful. It's memorable. I'm hoping that Coherent is in there somewhere, too. But wow, that was really kind of a surprise. And we're still on target for our October, is it October 3rd? October 23rd, I believe. 23rd, October 23rd. Yes, it is coming soon, Jim. So I think I should be able to talk more about it maybe on the next episode. But Okay. Yeah. That will be cool. Yeah. In other news of the day, what do we make of this lawsuit? Evil Knievel's family coming after Pixar for Duke Kaboom. I think it's pretty silly. What do you you think, Jim? (laughs) I kind of group it with the Onward lawsuit with the young woman who came after Pixar because they supposedly stole the design of her van and made that into Guinevere, I want to say. But it was one of these things where she provided the source material to verify that, look, this is the photo of my van being painted, and it's totally unique. And the problem is in that imagery, they actually showed the airbrush artist actually referencing a page that he'd ripped out of somebody else's book. So it's like, you're ripping off my ripoff. And in the case of Duke Kaboom, weren't there a number of people who jumped off of buildings with motorcycles back in the... Yeah, I mean, I, I we were joking before, and I said, you know, when you... When the daughter of Super Dave uh, starts <laughs> suing, then you know you got a problem. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we'll... I'm, I'm not sure this is really going to go anywhere. I don't know if Evil Knievel really has a copyright on sleazy 70s Daredevil. If you read the complaint, they, they touch on the cape, they touch on the poses. Always in cases like this, it's, it's the question of how much will we have to spend to fight this and how much will we have to spend to make this go away? And it's just sort of weighing, right. you know, what'll happen here. But while we're talking about Pixar, you have some news in regard to Soul or rather the short that will be paired with Soul, right? Yeah, I don't know if anybody knows that there's even a short coming, but there mm. is a new short attached to Soul called Burrow. Mm-hmm. And it is directed by Madeline Sheriffinian. I hope I'm saying her name right. She's a Pixar story artist. Mm-hmm. And she's amazing. And this short is amazing. So it's a 2D animated mm-hmm. short. It's technically a spark short, which I'm wondering is if that's just a distinction for non-Pixar looking shorts. Mm. But you've obviously watched all the Spark shorts on Disney Plus. Oh right? sure, sure, sure. Did sure. we ever yeah. talk about the the gay one with the dog? I don't know that we did because I mean, that one is so good. Yeah, I, I was sort of late to watching it, but oh mm-hmm. my god, that was so good. Mm-hmm. I love the message to the effect of you know your parents aren't quite as dumb as you think they are. Yes. They can surprise you. Yes, yes. So so Burrow is, um, it's shorter than the Spark Shorts. It's probably like four minutes long. And it's about a um, rabbit that's living in the kind of this kind of network of underground tunnels under a tree. Um, very like Fantastic Mr. Fox. And the rabbit is trying to find, to, trying to, you know, carve out its own place in the world. Mm-hmm. And it comes across frogs and other animals that are living down there and they already have their own houses built and so mm-hmm. the rabbit gets really rejected and I won't spoil the ending but of course it's very cute and there's also some danger and it is just wonderful it's the kind of storytelling that you expect from Pixar and the kind of sophistication that you expect mm-hmm. but it's told in this totally 
unique, unexpected way. It is just really, really wonderful, and it and it fits with Soul really well. I've seen about a half hour of Soul that I can't talk about yet, but it's great. However, we see Soul, mm-hmm. <laughs> wherever we see Soul in in November, it'll be a great. Pairing. Okay, so let's let's talk about that. Just this past week, for the the umpteenth million time, Disney has rejiggered its release schedule, and so now. Black Widow is in May of next year, and Eternals is in November, and West Side Side Story isn't until next December. But the animation stuff, I mean, tip of the hat to to Cartoon Brew. They're the ones who pointed out that March of next year, Rhea and the Last Dragon still holding that spot. Three weeks later, we get Bob's Burgers, the movie, which you absolutely positively believe is never going to show up in a theater. Yeah. So look for that on Hulu. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. I want to see this thing on the big screen, which I guess is going to mean I'm going to have to drape a bed sheet in my house. Well, yeah. I mean, the other thing we have to think about next year is that with everything pushed, every single weekend is going to be like the 4th of July weekend. Yeah. You know, it's like there's not going to be any lulls in the schedule because every... Everything that came out that was supposed to come out this year will be next year, plus everything that was supposed to come out next year. So... The Cartoon Brew f- folks pointed out that, in theory, four huge films uh, from Disney, The uh, Grey and the Last Dragon, Bob's Burgers, uh, Ron's Gone Wrong, and then the the Pixar that follows, Soul Luca, that comes out in mid-June. But the, the reality is, no, that's overlooking DreamWorks' Spirit Rising Free, which... I, Again, I get is based on the the Netflix series, but that's there's still millions of little girls who love horses that are going to come to theaters in theory if there's a vaccine to see that movie. And then, of course, just in early July, we then get Minions: Rise of Gru. So it's a very, very, very crowded marketplace. Yeah, carving out that turf, and that's again overlooking everything that's going to drop on Netflix, which is is getting very serious about animation. In fact, weren't you just mentioning they're setting up? Their new animation operation in Burbank, or huge new animation campus in Burbank. Yeah, it looks beautiful from the from the rendering. I was wondering where they were going because they were in this kind of like third party office building, way way off site from the actual main Netflix hub, which also is expanding. They're opening another building right next door next year. So yeah, there's nothing stopping Netflix right now. Okay. And they they clearly want to be have even more even more of a beautiful campus than DreamWorks, which was you know for a long time that was the that was the coolest animation campus in the area. But I was just coming across the earliest possible paperwork on the Glendale Creative Campus for Disney. This was in '99, where they had just after they'd acquired all of that property that used to be the the Glendale Airport, and getting ready to map out this huge campus and. I remember the campus had those giant Disney Infinity statues scattered. I know. Those were so fun. They were. And I, did you, you see one. my office there? You did take me upstairs. Okay. You know, the once. Yes. I just wonder how many of those disappeared. <laughs> you know, one night, you, know, you just paid the security guy to look the other way. This is going in the back of my car. Yeah. Especially after Disney Infinity went, yeah, up, went over. Yeah. I know. Those were so cool. There were a lot of fun, fun things at that campus they were, but they from were. what i understand they're actually moving some of those people off the lot to the bur- the um tower have you ever been to the tower in in burbank where disney channel is wasn't that where 
you did your Gravity Falls reading? Yes, yes, exactly. So, yeah, they're going to move people in there. Mm -hmm. And in the tower across the street is actually where STX is, Mm -hmm. the um, production office. Because one time they wanted me to watch a movie in Beverly Hills, and I said, I'm going to the office. You can play it on a laptop. And so that's what I did. I sat in a conference room. (laughs) Wow. And I watched a movie, Jim, because I have no shame. I always felt like that building was sort of like a dentist's office that happened to be showing you some sort of Disney thing. It was always like the oversized statues of the characters and stuff felt like a, a child's dentist's office waiting room. But it was definitely that vibe. I mean, it yeah, was, yeah. there's an empty building in Burbank. We're taking it and we're Disneyfying it. And it's like, yes. But there's only so much you can do with, you know, put the press on minis up there. Okay, there, that's festive. Okay, right. let's have a meeting. You will appreciate that if you go to the studio store there, which is in the lobby and, and does mm-hmm. not require any kind of ID to get into, mm-hmm. that they still have some of those statues from the 90s Disney stores in them. That's uh, right. Which I love. And yeah. if you ever talk to Dave Bossert, which mm-hmm. I've been Zooming with Dave a lot during quarantine, he has mm-hmm. a, a Goofy from one of those Disney stores on a little ledge right behind his chair in his office, oh. uh, which is very fun to see. But I miss that kind of... Remember when, the Disney, when Disney had personality, Jim? Mm-hmm. When did. the stores didn't look like an Old Navy? <laughs> Speaking of Dave Bossert, has he talked at all about his Nightmare Before Christmas book? No. Is he working on a Nightmare Before Christmas book? About a year, year and a half ago, he and I were talking, and he was actually recruiting my help because he had gotten to the point they were going to do a, a Nightmare for Christmas book that was going to be timed to the D23 Expo. You know, the idea was that it would, would be in the, the store there so the fans could buy it first, and then it would go out to the wider market. So he'd had this agreement in place that it was going to be showcased at one of the D23s. But what he wanted to do to put it over the top was that he wanted to have a chapter that would only be about tattoo art. People who had gotten the characters from Nightmare Before Christmas tattooed on themselves. I've got to collect some artwork to be able to show Disney. So would you help me get out the word? And it's just, you know, and I said, sure, just let me know when you're ready to do this and we'll we'll do a story or, you know, a podcast or that sort of thing. He made it sound like, you know, we're just a month or two away from doing this and I'll reach out. And, and then I never heard. So I will check in with him. All right. So we got Simpsons returns this Sunday. It'll be in the review mirror for folks listening to this podcast when it goes live on Tuesday. But the first episode of season 32 features a new voice for a Carlton Carlson, a.k.a. Carl, a Homer's co-worker from the Springfield nuclear power plant. And it's an Alex Dessert, who is part of the cast of Stranger Things. But the way the statement is written from the, the production company says, we are very pleased to welcome Alex Dessert playing Carl in The Simpsons season premiere. And it's like, Okay, so does that mean he's just doing voicing the character of the season premiere, or is he going to be replacing uh, Hank Azaria as the voice of this character forever? Press releases are an art form, and it's just sort of like, you know, they're usually written in a very specific way for a reason, so it's just sort of like they said he's voicing it for the premiere. Does right. that mean something? So. Uh, yeah, I don't, I mean... Everything about this is sort of weird because they don't reference any of the other characters that theoretically are going to be replaced, right? Mm-hmm. Like 
Dr. Hibbert or. No, that's it. That's it. Exactly. That they're kind of taking a piecemeal approach. And by the way, for uh, those of you looking for a Disney tie, the very first time that Carl turned up in a Simpsons episode was actually season one, episode 10, Homer's Night Out, which was directed by Rich Moore. Never heard of him. And Rich, as it turns out, directed 17 episodes in the first five seasons of The Simpsons. In fact, three of the strongest episodes from that era, the, the Flaming Moe's, uh, Marge and the Monorail, and Itchy and Scratchy, the movie, that's all Rich. And he works on The Simpsons and shows like The Critic and, and that till 2008. Then Lasseter persuades him to come over to Disney. 2012, he directs Wreck-It Ralph. For 2016, he co-directs with Byron Howard and Jared Bush, Zootopia. And then finally directs Ralph Breaks the Internet. That comes out in 2018. But then in March of 2019, he heads out the door over to Sony Pictures Animation, which brings us to Vivo, which you were just talking about because of Kirk D'Amico, right? Yeah, because I was looking into the sordid history of Crudes, and when Crudes was canceled, and this Mm. is true, in 2016, Kirk went to do... Vivo, mm-hmm. and he left DreamWorks to do Vivo, and that's when Chris Sanders went to do Call of the Wild. Mm-hmm. So it's just a fascinating kind of like who went where, when, and you know. So, as you mentioned, Vivo started out as a DreamWorks project. In fact, the log line for this thing is a Capuchin monkey with a thirst for adventure and a passion for music makes a treacherous passage from Havana, Cuba to Miami, Florida in pursuit of his dreams to fulfill his destiny. That old story. That old story. All right. But the reason this was on people's radar, it started development in 2010. It was Lin-Manuel Miranda came to the studio, pitched this idea, and he had just done In the Heights on Broadway. So he's working on this musical, but then in January of 2015, DreamWorks reorganizes, and as you mentioned, you know, to get itself ready to, to sell eventually to NBC Universal Comcast in April of the following year. In the interim, August of 2015, Hamilton moves from off-Broadway to Broadway, becomes this smash hit. And suddenly, Vivo, it's like, okay, this is the animated musical that's written by the guy who did Hamilton. And it's like, I maybe want to hang on to that. Well, as it turns out, uh, Sony Pictures Animation was able to arrange to sort of lift the project out whole and take it over to their studio to work on. And as you mentioned, this is where Kirk uh, Miko uh, comes on board as the director. And uh, Viva was kind of an In the Heights reunion project because the woman who wrote the script for not only for the, the stage play version of In the Heights, but also the movie that was supposed to have come out this past June. Which is fabulous, by the way. That is I've it really? seen the movie. It's really uh, wonderful. Well, then, no, that's great to hear. Yeah. But if the schedule holds right now, Vivo is supposed to come out June 4th, 2021. But here's the thing. Warner Brothers is opening In the Heights two weeks later. I watched Hamilton Numerous times. Love the show. Love the fact that it's available on Disney Plus. But I wonder, is there such a thing as too much Lin-Manuel Miranda? If you think there's too much Lin-Manuel, you gotta think (laughs) another thing. Because he is always rapping, and you will never see it coming. (laughs) 
Okay, I stand corrected. I just, <laughs> what could I have been thinking? Oh my God. Anyway, that situation only came about because of, of COVID-19 and all the impact that's had on the industry, and which is why I cannot wait till Wednesday of this week when the new season of South Park, the 23rd season of South Park. Yeah, but things are, I feel like they're, they're on a little bit of that DreamWork schedule where there'll be a couple in sort, short succession. and Okay. They're starting out their 23rd season with it, their first ever hour-long episode, which is going to deal with the pandemic. But there are other reasons that projects maybe don't do as many episodes or, for that matter, don't get released on time. And when Drew and I get back from this break... We're going to talk about it. <laughs> an animated feature that didn't so much get released as it well, sort of escaped. Before we get into Animal Crackers, we were talking about the recast of Carl on The Simpsons. And it turns out this Sunday night as part of Fox's animation domination block on Family Guy, they're also going to be debuting a vocal recast. And... Mike Henry had been the voice of Cleveland Brown since Family Guy began its first run on Fox back in uh, January of 99. And he just recently said people of color, or at least animated characters of color, should be voiced by people of color. So he stepped away from voicing Cleveland. And there is a gentleman, Arif Zahir, who actually has been making his living doing wonderful videos on YouTube of, of him doing cartoon characters' voices. And he does a killer Cleveland. And so to give Seth MacFarlane a lot of credit, somebody brought this to his attention. It's like, look, this guy does an amazing Cleveland. And it's like, okay, the guy who does an amazing Cleveland should do Cleveland. So he debuts this Sunday uh, in the rearview mirror for our listeners of this show. But that will also have been the 350th episode a family guy? Wow. But when you hear Arif on the show, you know, on Sunday doing Cleveland, the rest of the season, you'll still hear uh, Mike Henry as that character. Because it turns out that they did this for the, the 350th episode, but they had already produced the 18th season of the show, and they'd already recorded the shows, and they'd already animated them. So we're going to see... Mr. Zahir come in as the voice of the character for the 19th season, which will start next year. But they wanted to give people a taste of the character for this show. So we were talking about Animal Crackers, which, Drew, you have yet to watch, but I, I have gotten to see. It's solid. It's beautiful to look at. It takes a little too long to end. It's an hour and 45 minutes. And I... I yeah. But, but at the same time, you know, I made sure to... Check, because a, a lot of the Pixars actually are that long. Some of them are actually longer. When you've got a cast, a vocal cast, you know, John uh, Krasinski, Emily Blunt, Danny DeVito, Ian McKellen, Sylvester Stallone, Raven Simone, and Patrick Warburton. I mean, you it sounds like you're halfway there to a successful film. And then you've got Tony Bancroft, the master animator who, you know, was the co-director of Disney's 1998 hit Mulan and... The film debuts at Annecy back in June of 2017, and it really seems destined for decent business. But then this weird thing happens. Animal Crackers only gets released in China in July of 2018, and then 
languishes in the can for two years, Drew, before it finally shows up on Netflix in July of this year. Yeah. There's a reason. Well, there's a couple of reasons that happened. But one of the main ones is the gentleman who really sort of got this ball rolling uh, on this film, and that's Harvey Weinstein. Back in 2010, Scott Christian Sava writes a screenplay about a magical box of animal crackers, and he thinks, hey, this would be a great script for a family-friendly uh, feature. Uh, so his agent you know, takes it around to all the majors, and everybody takes a pass in the project, and the script isn't doing enough to sell the idea. So he commissions a short film, pulls a couple of pages out of the screenplay, has this animated, and takes this version around in June of uh, 2013. And it's at this point, uh, about two months after this version with the film and the script starts making circulation, and Harvey gets to see it. And Harvey, they'd had some success with, with animated films. I mean, Drew, did you ever get to see Hoodwinked or Arthur and the Invisible? Uh, yeah, I mean, Hoodwinked, I, you'll never believe this, Jim, but I interviewed Wayne Newton for, I believe, a Hoodwinked 2. <laughs> Wow! For Hood versus Evil? I think so, yeah. Oh. I think that was the one, yeah. I have oh. no memory of these movies besides them being sort of like bland Shrek copies, but it got me on the phone with Wayne Newton, which is something I will never forget <laughs> as long as I go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> Does he sound like he has a pencil-thin mustache? I mean, is that something that comes across you know, over the, the phone? The mustache didn't come through. Wasn't he the one that had like penguins at his house? Yeah, and, and they kind of got the animal rights people kind of got involved because he was mistreating the penguins or something. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. it's something about that that dry desert air. It just does something to your brain. <laughs> so, all right. So anyway, Bob and Harvey they decide we're going to take a flyer on Animal Crackers. So they line up Bancroft to direct. They reach out to Carter Goodrich. He's the, the character designer. Uh, you know, worked on Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, Ratatouille, Brave, and Coco for Pixar. He did open season in Hotel Transylvania for Sony, Crudes for DreamWorks, and specifically for Illumination. So the character designer, character designer. And I will say this, that the, the characters in this thing look great. They get the team set in place. The film is going to be set to be released in April of 2017 through Relativity Media. But then Relativity experiences a financial crisis. They're no longer in a position to release the film. But uh, the Weinstein brothers are like, okay, we're going to take it to, to Annecy. We're going to, you know, world premiere it there. Hopefully we'll get good buzz. That will help us line up another distribution deal. And we'll go from there. It gets shown in June of that year, and sure enough, the gambit works. Seraphine, uh, releasing, agrees to take this animated feature, put it out in theaters September 2017, but then they shut down. So the film's still sitting in the can, but Harvey and Bob work their magic. November of that same year, Entertainment Studios agrees that they will now distribute Animal Crackers worldwide starting in 2018. And in fact, in April of 2018, the, the screenwriter Sava posts on Facebook that finally going to happen, folks. We actually have a release date. It's going to be August 10th, 2018. But then mysteriously in June of 2018, Entertainment Studios backs out of the deal. And it's just sort of like, well, what's that all about? And Harvey, who... It was uh, back in the fall of 2017, the New York Times began running stories about the allegations that 
actresses like uh, Rose McGowan and Ashley Judd were making about Harvey. And suddenly he got radioactive. And as a direct result, because he was associated with animal crackers, nobody wanted to deal with animal crackers. And here you had this solid, wonderfully produced, beautiful production design animated feature that nobody wanted to be associated with. So that's why we only got the one release that summer in China, and then it sits in the can until after the trial, and basically Netflix, once the trial, uh, Harvey's trial goes over, Netflix is willing to take a flyer on it, and it debuts in July of this year on Netflix, and the week it becomes available to subscribers of that streaming service it becomes the second most watched thing on Netflix that week. It's an hour and 45 minutes, and I wish it would end 15 minutes early. Or, you know, just it, it has a very long ending. It, it, it should have been tightened. But it's, it's got some really charming stuff in it. And I didn't even mention Gilbert Godfrey's uh, Zucchini. He's the sort of the henchman. He thinks he's the villain, and the, the villain is actually his henchman. That's half the fun of that relationship. Sometimes it's it's not a global pandemic that prevents your film from getting out into theaters. Sometimes it's you know what's going on in the, the financial world with various you know production companies suddenly caving in, and sometimes it's your CEO not behaving very CEO like. Yeah, it, it seemed to just be like a bad sort of perfect storm that kept this out of theaters for so long, but. Mm-hmm. Now it's on Netflix for everybody, so make up your mind. And should it have been out sooner? Should it have never come out at all? You let us know. (laughs) Well, speaking of perfect storms, I got a copy of the April 2012 issue of Cinefix magazine. And it has this amazing feature about Mission Impossible 4. One of the, the more bizarre photos out of this article is from when they're doing the sandstorm sequence in the movie. Right. Where it's five trucks driving close together with giant fans in their back. It employs throwing handfuls of sand into the giant fans as Tom Cruise runs toward this phalanx of trucks, you know, so they can get the shots of him in the middle of the sandstorm. And it's yeah. like, oh, what that man went through on this movie. Speaking of which, so what is going on with, with Light the Fuse these days? Have we started on the Light the Wick? Uh, We've started series? recording Light the Wick, but I'm thinking now that it'll be probably 2021 before that starts, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah, we've actually got a bunch of great guests lined up, including, I won't say who, but a couple of the stars of the original show. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. So you're definitely going to want to check out those. Those are coming soon. Mm-hmm. We've got a great interview with an editorial person who was on the editorial team for four this week who tells some great stories about Paul Hirsch and Tom Cruise. And he's been very helpful because he also edited John Wick 2 and 3. So he's helping us get uh, Light the Wick together. Um, and his name is Evan Schiff. And then we've got some... We've got David Kep coming up. We've got Greg Grunberg coming up. I mean, we have some big shows. So, um, yeah, you're going to want to keep going. Can't wait. Can't wait. Okay. Well, we do have a few podcasts over on this side of the fence. We got uh, Disney Dish with Lentesta. We got Looking at Lucasfilm with your your good, close, special friend, Dan Z. We got Marvel Us Disney, Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. If you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend not only Light the Fuse, but the podcast you're listening to right now, Fine Tuning. Uh, Likewise, if you could head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, 
that keeps us in diet sodas and the like. So, all right, till then, folks, thanks for listening. We'll be back soon.